You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Laura, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. Today, we're going to talk about the imposter syndrome and why we thought that this episode was a very good episode <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> like why, why we think imposter syndrome is an important topic to cover, right? Yeah. So, so who wants to go first? I mean, I just want to say, I don't want to, um, I mean, we definitely do this podcast for graduate students, mm-hmm. but we don't think that the imposter syndrome is only concerning uh, graduate students in science. I think that would be pretentious of us to don't think that it's a, that it's a feeling that everybody can feel at any stage of their life. But today we are focusing more about the imposter syndrome as a graduate student. I agree with that. So can can we start kind of like how we start Usually, all these? You know what? You're going to start today. Like why you think it was a good topic to cover today? And from your perspective as a graduate student, uh, what is your relationship with your imposter syndrome? <laughs> okay. Okay, fine. I'll start. I think we chose imposter syndrome mainly because it's it's something that I personally relate to as a scientist and as a graduate student. And from, you know, from all the people that I've engaged with in science, like I do feel like it is more universal than my psyche gives it credit for. (laughs) And I think first, like, I just want to say, like, what exactly imposter syndrome is and what it is to me. So for me, it's that feeling like I don't belong in science. Like I am a fraud. Like I have no business doing the work that I'm doing and presenting data. And then people are wasting their time when they listen to me. It's that feeling. And I guess like, I just kind of wanted to talk about it today and talk about it in this, in this sphere that we've created in this podcast with like the interviews, because I think that people don't talk about it enough, or maybe when people do talk about it, it's the last loudest people in the room that talk about it and mm-hmm. don't really get to hear everyone's perspective. And you won't be able to get to hear that here either, yeah. but you're going to get a well-rounded perspective, both from me and Lore, and then from the three people that we interview. So I guess that's sort of why Lore and I wanted to bring this topic into our podcast. And both of us know it's very delicate, but we also think it's really important. You asked me about my own experience with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Oh, this is hard to talk about. Yeah, go. Um, so I, I feel like, so like I said, it's feeling like a fraud and feeling like you don't, like I don't belong in the science sphere. And for me, like that comes from, you'll hear me talking about this throughout the podcast. Like in undergrad, I wasn't the greatest student and I took a very strange route to my PhD. After I graduated undergrad, I ended up pivoting and doing completely a science, non-science things. And I didn't even know that I was going to come back to science. And then I ended up doing a research associate position, doing like a little bit of technical work, not really thinking that I belong. Um, And then starting my PhD, I basically just felt like, like, damn, like, what, what am I even doing here? Yeah, what are you? Yeah, definitely. And being surrounded by so many smart people and like this, this thing 
of feeling like an imposter just basically strikes me every single day. And I'll talk a little bit about how that happens a little bit later. Yeah, I just want to say something because I had a flashback right now when you were speaking about you when you started and you were feeling like an imposter. I remember when I met you the first time in the lab and oh, we yeah. were together, we were with our postdoc that we were following in the lab to help them. Mm-hmm. And they were teaching us a, a machine. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Like biology was completely brand new to me. So every day I was just struggling to learn so much to like travel, travel so many pieces of information. And you were there like taking notes asking questions and I was like what the heck am I doing here <laughs> like this girl is on top of her game and I'm like looking at them like blankly like <laughs> help me <laughs> so you see how much is a question of perspective because to me you were so much invested and and asking very good question why for me I was just like oh my god why why am I here <laughs> So yeah, so that that was just like uh, okay. Oh, yeah, I think that's so sweet of you to say that. <laughs> no, um, that's true. <laughs> so I feel like that helps. We'll talk a little bit about what you could do, what potentially you could do to help out with your imposter monster. But um, I think that's one of them, like just friends kind of lifting you up. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what about what about for you? Like, what is uh, so. What is imposter syndrome to you? So definitely this uh, this feeling that I'm not good enough, that I'm not passionate enough, that I'm not ready to die for. And it's kind of like this feeling that I feel when I'm with coworkers in the lab that they could lose their own life in the name of science, where I'm like, no, I mean, I like doing science, but I will not sacrifice everything for it. And so for that, that was my imposter syndrome because I was thinking, well, I'm probably like not a good student so a PhD student if I'm not ready to do that. So that was my my imposter syndrome, I guess, at least the, the one that I could recall. Just blew my mind. Really? Yeah, because I think I think you hit the nail on the head a little bit. Like there's there's a big culture in the sciences around you know scientists are so devoted to their yeah. work and everything. But it, you know at the end of the day, it's a job. Yes, and and it's a job that I like to do, but it's not something yeah that I would sacrifice everything for. And so my imposter syndrome comes back way more before undergrad for me as a student in France. I was average plus. I was say but really average plus and I always felt that I was not good enough and I decided to leave France and I started to kind of forget about this feeling when I was in Switzerland because people were not constantly reminding me that I was not good enough I think by my grades we're just like hanging out with friends or professors no matter like what was your grades they were just like talking to you and be very enthusiastic about you and your questions and then I never would have heard we really talk about this imposter syndrome during undergrads and it's really when I started to do research in the lab and think about PhD that it's my husband when we were at this time boyfriend and girlfriend was like oh but this is just your imposter syndrome talking right now and I was like imposter what? (laughs) (laughs) And he explained it was like oh you're cute you think that what's going on in your head right now is just (laughs) about you. Everybody thinks the same you know. (laughs) 
And I was like, okay, so interesting. So actually people are going through this kind of internal dialogues that are not very nice. And, and so that's why for me, talking about it today makes maybe for people sense, but others maybe, okay, so actually this is proper to being human, just yeah. having an imposter syndrome. And I started to research a bit more about it. And I found out that actually imposter syndrome, we associate to something very negative, but I started to associate it with something that is telling me that I'm going to the right direction. If I hear my imposter syndrome talking, I will tell myself it's because you're challenging yourself right now and your body, your brain doesn't want to because it likes to stay in content and his little comfort zone. But if actually is rising up like some concern is because you're right now about to do something new, you're about to learn, you're about to create. So you push those boundaries and so it's waking up. And as long as you don't believe in what your imposter syndrome is telling you, you're okay. Like you can be try to shush him down, but if you're here, it's just because you on your way to create something. That's at least what today I'm trying to associate my imposter syndrome to something actually not so negative, but... I feel like your point kind of brings up another point in my head, which is like this thing that I've heard over and over again, and I've also probably even repeated myself and I'll repeat again right now, which is that like the imposter syndrome, it's like a marker for a scientist. It's like a it's like the thing that makes a scientist a scientist. So if you have imposter syndrome, then you're going to be able to think critically and do work critically. And that's like, that makes a good scientist, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm saying this with the caveat of, I think it's bullshit. <laughs> No. I've just heard it. I've heard it so many times. Like so many people repeat it to me. No, I think I think imagine like I love to listen to some podcasts about science that did some breakthrough. Those kind of science did breakthrough because they were not they were challenging other science. Like this uh, retrovirus story when mm -hmm. people were talking about like when this scientist find out about it he got the entire community turning their back to him because they were like this is just nonsense and at the end it happened that it was a huge breakthrough so i'm not saying that i constantly think that because i'm <laughs> challenging myself i'm going to do breakthrough but i think that if everybody doesn't challenge like if, if we will not have this capability of challenging ourselves and keep the imposter syndrome as it's actually making me be a good scientist we will not advance as fast as we are as scientists i think that's like a good way of thinking of, of it on like the global scale mm -hmm. like yeah on like the you know the bigger impact perspective yeah what about how science impacts us on the more local scale like in our day-to-day running experiments and interpreting our own results. Yeah, right? definitely. So yeah. if your imposter is really, really strong, then you can look at data and everything that you look at, you don't trust because you don't trust yourself to run a good experiment or you don't trust. Yeah, data. yeah. But that's, right. yeah, that's when it's becoming bad because it doesn't make you move on. It makes you like stay put. Right, exactly. You're to move on. Yeah. But like I've heard from a bunch of people that like that mindset is like what makes a scientist a scientist, being able to be critical of one's own experiment. Yeah. But I don't agree with it. I think it's good to to be able to recognize when something is weird, that it's weird, and not being like, oh, no, that's probably, it's nothing. 
let's just pretend that this actually worked or like when people try to frame their own work to make it fit to their primary hypothesis when actually the data shows that something else is going on and they are not investigating it, that's not a good thing. That's not right. a good approach. But at the same time, imagine like if we're constantly being criticizing our results or our data, like we will never write. Like at some point, we, you know that there is a moment that you have to stop investigating and think that this is good enough to be published because at this pace, I would publish one paper in my life when I'm going to retire. Like every story, every experiment, everything yeah. that that you're trying to investigate, they have like endless... Um... Or, or you would never be able to publish the story that is like the breakthrough science. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I have an example of where my imposter impacted me in the lab like pretty dramatically. Wow, tell me. Yeah, so I was setting up these experiments and trial after trial, and these were very, very finicky experiments. They took me like days on days to set up and trial after trial, like different things were going wrong and things were failing. I worked out a bunch of the kinks and finally got a setup that I could trust. And I was running the experiment and the results came back and it showed broad failure. Not 100% failure, but broad failure. And because I had basically experienced all of this previous failure and because of my imposter syndrome, I neglected to attribute the failure of the experiment to the biochemistry yeah. of the experiment. You associated that with you, like you did right. something wrong. Right. Like like I had failed the experiment and like I was the reason that everything had gone wrong. And I ended up taking like maybe a month away from the project after that. I was just like, I need a break. Yeah. And I just cut myself off from it, decided to think about some other things. And then like when I finally got back to it, I started reading more about what could have gone wrong and realized that there were all these physical parameters that were affecting the output of the experiment. And then I was able to set up controls and everything and resolve a lot of the physical um, boundaries for the experiment. The point of the story is my imposter syndrome disabled me. Yeah. Like it was completely disabling. I mean, we are still learning. That's why we are named graduate students. And right. I think we are learning from that because this kind of experience is going to serve you for the rest of your life. Because when it's going to happen again, you might, you, your first instinct is going to be like, oh my God, I need a break. But instead of take a month, you're going to take like a night and then wake up and be like, hey, is it like when I was in grad school and it actually means something else and it's not maybe me the problem? And then it's not going to take you as long to set up another experiment to just troubleshoot and see and test your hypothesis, you know? So you have, you have to forgive yourself a lot when you're in grad school right. you have to have it all figure it out. But we're actually just learners on, yeah. on the fly. <laughs> I think that I think that that was like the biggest lesson from that experience like okay like I have to forgive myself you know in these instances sometimes stuff just goes wrong because yeah. science you know yeah nothing to do with how I necessarily set up the damn thing yeah for, for I had the same it was my first year I was setting up this experience and I wanted this experience to just work so bad that I was just like 
working almost blankly with it. Like I was just running up again and again and again until I was like, maybe one day it's going to actually work. If I, every time I tune a little bit something, eventually like everything's going to be tuned well and it's going to work. And then eventually I was like, I took a break because I got sick, which was a good thing. (laughs) It just allowed me to take a step back and be like, oh my God, how many months have have you been doing this experiment (laughs) with just some like tuning thing I was like this is not working smartly (laughs) and then I was so mad at myself but then again I was like now with perspective I was like oh my god you were just so learning that's Mm -hmm. that's okay and um and as long as you can learn from those kind of moments and forgive yourself I think it just makes you being a better scientist but that's I think a bit further away from the imposter syndrome which by the way I want to say that the imposter syndrome is not a syndrome like a psychiatric syndrome it's just it's just a feeling like guys <laughs> we are not talking about psychology here <laughs> yeah we haven't been officially diagnosed yeah. <laughs> it's not something that yeah you you, you want to be uh good talk to, i mean you can talk to your psychologist about it but every i think every if it's pretty common for everybody to feel that and and you, and i you think you don't need a prognosis to yeah. consider yourself yeah imposter syndrome yeah and and i think even all along your career you should feel this way i think you just should by the time just learn how to be more comfortable with it and it's not going to hit you as hard but at the same time i think it's a good way to to tune with your instinct that you're pushing your limits otherwise it might just mean that you're so content in into what you're doing and that you don't learn something new like I had once this kind of imposter syndrome inside of me I had to to move on in my work for my PhD to study something completely new and in like two or three years that I was kind of like doing almost the same not really but like you become an expert into a part of the field of of your PhD and then suddenly I was taking like a a massive like turn of like 90 degrees into a, a completely new field of area of science and I remember that I was resisting but I was postponing postponing to like study to like <laughs> put in place some experiments talk to people and I was just like just I don't know and eventually one night it hit me and I was like law like stop doing that like don't listen to imposter syndrome that because you don't know you can't learn you know about it so now you actually identify you put your finger into something that is going to change you it's going to help you to learn something new so stop Mm -hmm. postponing that because you right now complaining about your phd work because it's so redundant and boring sometimes but you actually have the (laughs) the opportunity to to discover something new that you're postponing for months (laughs) so So I think like that was for me like a pretty good moment of realizing that sometimes when you feel so resistant about something to do, identify how much new and challenging it is to you to 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 do it. And actually that's that's a pretty good way to show that it's worth being investigated or worked on. Yeah. Okay. We're picking this topic for our grad student forum, which is specifically tailored for young scientists. And I think like I just want to say like the reason that we're picking this topic for young scientists is not because like it like Laura said earlier not because more established scientists aren't victims of imposter syndrome but more that it's important for us to relay this information to young scientists now because young scientists become established scientists and I we just think that it's important for the message to get out yeah of course 
I think also we talk about our own imposter syndrome and you're going to listen interviewers that talk about their own imposter syndrome. And if you don't know what is your imposter syndrome, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. You might not know how it sounds like. So take some time to analyze what makes you uncomfortable or being you know, when you feel reduced in your head by your own self. And then you will be tuned by what we call imposter syndrome. So who, who can we go to for help? Uh, I like to go to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminds me of a story. Yeah. That was quick. When I was in undergrad and I was like dealing with, you know, not doing well in undergrad and like the beginning of imposter syndrome sinking in and I was trying to do better in school. I was making a concerted effort to bring up my GPA and do better. And before every single exam that I took, I called my mom and I was just like, I need you to tell me the things. And then she would know exactly what I was talking about. And she'd be like, Megan, you're brilliant. (laughs) Megan, you're so smart. Megan, you're going to ace this exam. You're going to do so well. And if you don't, I love you anyway. Oh, that's the best message you can get before an exam. That's so cute. And and it helped so much. It just yeah. made me feel like of course. all the pressure was gone. Yeah, definitely. She doesn't have to do that as much anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so so yeah, I like I like to to call my mom. She's always a a good um she has always like good wisdom into those kind of challenging yourself, pushing yourself aspects and I also like to talk to friends. <laughs> about it i think that's pretty uh pretty fun to listen my friends imposter syndrome like your friends who do science right yes yeah yeah definitely and also sometimes i like to find the imposter syndrome into my friends when they tell me about the story and in my head i'm like oh my god this is so much the imposter syndrome we're talking right now Like you want to, you want to pay it forward. Uh, like what Sam helped you figure yeah. out. Yeah, definitely. Help others figure out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's um, friends. Definitely. Family. Mostly my mom. Kind of like you said. It doesn't have to be your mom just because it's your Our moms. <laughs> like the answer for uh, me and Laura doesn't mean it's the answer for you. <laughs> My partner, he doesn't do science, so he's a great person to just talk to because he doesn't understand, or he does understand what I do, but not to the full extent and doesn't really understand all the nuances of setting up experiments and, you know, dealing with imposter. So he's kind of able to check me. They like, hey, no, you're, you're smart. Every time I talk to you, I just feel like I know you're smart. You know what you're talking about, that sort of thing. Um, and having that is, it's really nice. I wouldn't say it's necessary, but it's nice. But you can have friends do that as well. And I think mentors are also potentially available for this. Well, I would say in general, I think to somebody to talk to about the imposter syndrome would be somebody that wants, of, of course, to trust enough to talk about something that's sensitive to you, yeah. but also somebody that you admire a lot because you will realize that everybody that you're going to put on a, on a pedestal is going to tell you that at some point in their life, they had a very good example of their imposter syndrome. And I think when you admire somebody that says that, makes you accepting a bit more about your own demons. Well said.
<laughs> yeah. We're going to advocate for this a little bit more on the show. Like as we kind of talk about some more sensitive subjects, therapy yeah. is incredibly valuable. I'm pretty open about my own, my own engagement with therapy. And I think that if you're struggling with something like imposter syndrome to the point where it's disabling or, de- or debilitating, therapy yeah. is so Definitely. valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I also really like self mantras <laughs> yes. where like you repeat things to yourself until you believe them. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to repeat some of mine now and maybe I'll ask you to cut these out later. <laughs> <laughs> so like things like I am good enough and I am only a human doing science. I think that one really helps me with the example that I gave over relying on myself to set up an experiment and understanding that sometimes the experiment fails not because of me, but because of- Of science and experiment. science, yes. yes. Because of physics. Yeah, yeah, um, I like the, I'm only a human doing science. I think that puts a lot of humility into what you're doing and at the same time, acknowledge the limits that you can have because right. you're just human. Yeah. yeah. That's a good phrase. I like it. Good mantra. Yeah. And like, that's, I mean, that's generally what I have to say on this subject. We've got three interviews with folks from different career stages, like we always do. Yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll have a dynamic set of perspectives. Thank you for listening Secret Life of a Graduate Student. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, thumbs up and share with as many people you think that could help. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye. We are doing something new for this series. We want to hear your questions for our series panelists about imposter syndrome. You can email your question to student at gmail.com and we'll pick the best question or the question that's most frequently asked 